Likutei Sichos, Chelak Tezvav, Volume 15, the second Sicha for Parshas Vayishlach, which also is a Sicha for Yud Tes Kislev. Briefly, Yud Tes Kislev is perhaps the greatest festival on the Chabad calendar, and for that matter on the Jewish calendar, in the sense that this is the day of the liberation of the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Schneer Zalman, the founder of the Chabad movement, and from this day on, the wellsprings of Chabad Hasidism began to really flow at a much greater uh, force, much, much, much greater energy than ever before. Then you know, It was totally unprecedented. Now, Vayishlach always happens to coincide with Yutes Kislev, either right before or right after, and therefore there are many Sichais, there are many Maimari, many discourses that have a distinct connection connecting the two, Yutes Kislev and Vayishlach. In addition, this Sicha, in the Sicha itself, as you will soon see, the quote from this week's Parsha is a primary quote in a point that the Alter Rebbe was making in the letter that he wrote preceding the liberation as he was returning home from Petersburg, St. Petersburg in Russia, where he was held under arrest for that for 53 days. This in, in, in the, the verse is from this week's Parsha, and it plays a very big role in the idea and the essence of the liberation and what it's all about and the lesson for us. So, as an introduction, as I just told you in this letter, the Alter Rebbe's point that he was making was that although Hashem did such a tremendous miracle for us, a miracle beyond, you know, great, great miracles, yet we have to be very, very, or not yet, but because of that, we have to be very, very certain and very particular in being extremely humble and not lashing out against the opponents of Hasidus and so on. In other words, the Rebbe says that having experienced such great kindness from Hashem has to bring out in the person a deeper sense of humility, a deeper sense of bitul uh, to Hashem, and thus becoming deservant and being deservant of all those blessings. Another very interesting point that I want to uh, share in, as, as, as a form of introduction in order to help us later, later better understand the Sicha, we know that the core textbook of Chabad Hasidism, almost like the Bible of Chabad Hasidism, is the Tanya. Now, the Tanya was written by the Alter Rebbe and was printed during his life. The Tanya was written so meticulously that there are actually tales um, and anecdotes about how the Alter Rebbe spent sometimes days or weeks trying to decide an exact word or nuance to write or not to write in the Tanya. One perfect example of that, which is actually mentioned in this week's Sicha, is we know there's a rule that the Talmud tells us, a halacha. Now, whenever you quote a verse from the Torah, if you're only quoting a partial verse, you have to give some indication. There has to be some overt connotation that that is not the entire verse. In other words, that what you have quoted is not the entirety of the verse. And therefore, typically, when we quote a verse only partially, we will end off with saying, Vigomer, and etc., or, and finish off the verse, pointing to the fact that this is not the entire verse. Now, throughout the Tanya, you have many quotes from verses, from sayings of the sages, from various expressions from the Torah. And of course, following this rule, you'll always have the familiar chulhu, which means etc., or gomer, or finish off the verse. But sometimes it appears as chulhu, which is 
etc. Sometimes it says v'chulu, and etc. Now it may not sound like a big difference to you, but this is typical of what the Alter Rebbe sometimes spent weeks on deciding what he should write. Chulu or v'chulu. What is the difference? Well, the difference is very understood, as the Rebbe explained um, at another occasion, elsewhere in the Likutei Sichos, that when it says chulu, it just merely says etc. There's another part to this verse, but it's not important for the matter being discussed here at the, this time, this place, and therefore we're not quoting it. But when it says v'chulu, that means that although this is a partial quote, but and etc. means and the rest also applies here. And the rest is also prudent here in our discussion. Another thing it's important to point out, so it'll help us understand the Sikha better. When we say a blessing, we say, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you God. According to Chassidus, and this is very fundamental and very important, Baruch doesn't only mean blessed are you, because if that's all it means, it really doesn't make sense. Who are we to bless Hashem? Where do we be, get the power to bless Hashem in the, to bless in the first place, let alone to bless Hashem? Who is the source of blessings? Rather, Baruch really means, comes from the root word, which means to draw down. So when we say Baruch Atah Hashem, which means we're drawing down, we're making flow the blessings all the way from on high, from the essence of God, going all the way through all the various levels as they evolve, coming down here to the physical world. One more quick thing, a quote from the Talmud. There's a verse in Isaiah, in Isaiah 46, verse 12, which says, Shimu Leif. Listen to me, those of, literally means the stubborn of the heart, a strong heart, who are very distant from tzedakah, from charity. Whatever it means there, but the Talmud says that it also means this is a reference to the righteous ones, that they are the strong of heart. What do you mean the strong of heart? They are distant from charity. They don't have to come to Hashem, so to speak, and beg for their sustenance. It's coming to them. They deserve it. They have a right. They could demand it. You'll hear later how this fits into things. So let's go into the actual Sintra. In this week's Parsha, there's a verse that says, Yaakov Avinu is praying to Hashem, asking Him to save him, and he says, I've become humbled, I've become small, unworthy, because of all the kindness that you have done with me. And then he says, For with my staff, just with a walking staff, with my stick, I passed over this yard in the Jordan when he went out of Israel and he went to his uncle, Lavan, and look, and now here I am with two entire camps, family, possessions, cattle, wealth. Wow, I started off with so little and here I am with two entire camps. Now there are two ways to understand these words, quote, for with my staff, I, cover, I crossed over the Jordan. The first pirush, as Rashi says, is that he had absolutely nothing. Whatever the reason is, not important right now, but he was so penniless. He had so nothing, so little of, of anything, that all he had is a walking staff. What is a walking staff? It's just a dry rod that you can find anywhere. And that's all he had. And this is expressing how poor he was when he started off, and look how big he made it. Look what Hashem has done for him. And that expresses his humble beginnings and now the great kindness that Hashem did with all the wealth and the family that he has. So 
this represents, if I was to summarize it, this, this understanding of the word for with my staff is an indicator of the extreme poverty, the lowliness of level that he was on. However, there is another interpretation of this. And that says that, quote, a miracle happened for him. That, just like what happened to Moses, that he took his staff and he didn't have to swim across the the river, which is a raging river. He didn't have to worry how he's going to get across. Rather, he split the waters and walked across in dry land. So this actually expresses the exact opposite, the extreme opposite. Namely, that this was a tremendous miracle, that he was in a great state for even the stick itself, the staff itself, doesn't represent the bad, and now it's good, but rather the staff itself, the idea of the staff itself, represents already a tremendous kindness and greatness that happened to him and that happened with him. Now we know as a rule, our Torah is one Torah. Meaning, it's Torah emet, it's a Torah of truth. So when you have, like in this case, you have what seems to be two contradictory um, interpretations, the Rebbe always maintains the school of thought that it has, it, since the Torah is seamless, the Torah is one, there has to be a connection between the two, and they have to even, at, at a deeper level, they even complement each other. So the Rebbe says, in order to understand this, we take a look at that letter that I mentioned in the introduction, when the, the letter that al wrote on the way home from Petersburg after experiencing the great miracle, and he says that we have to be humble, and he says, be, quote, because Yaakov was so small, was so worthless in his own eyes, because of the great kindness that happened, and he quotes the verse, ki v'makli, chulhu, please notice, for with my staff, Etc. He doesn't quote anymore. So of course, of course, it would seem that what the Rebbe is trying to bring to bring out to express is the great kindness that happened to Yaakov, that he only crossed with his staff, and now he has the great. Now he has two camps. But if that's the case, that then 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 why didn't he quote the rest of the verse and the rest of the verse saying, and now I was. I am, I, I'm sorry, now I have two entire camps. So I have all this wealth, <clears throat> which you can't just hint by saying, etc. if it's so prudent to what you're trying to say. So it's obviously not what he's trying to say. On the other hand, maybe if perhaps can we suggest that what the Alter Rebbe is pointing to is this second interpretation. And that's what he's saying. For with my staff, meaning look at the great miracle that happened with my staff, as I just mentioned, then I split the sea. But that's also not possible. Because if in that case, he should have at least said, I crossed the Jordan. He should have quoted the next two, three words from the verse, Avarati And he did not. And especially according to what I told you in the introduction, considering the rule in Tanya, that when it says, Chulu versus Vechulu, when it says, etc. versus and, etc., that means if it doesn't say and, it doesn't include the rest. That means what the Altarebbe's proof, the Altarebbe's point that he's highlighting here is only and exclusively in the words ki vimakli, for with my staff. That's it. The only reason he says etc. is because of the rule. He is compelled by the halacha, by the rule, as to not to give off the impression that this is the entirety of the verse. But otherwise, that's not. he doesn't have any use, so to speak, for this discussion, he has no use for the rest of the verse. What is this all about? In other words, 
What does this really mean? What is the Alter Rebbe really trying to tell us with these words? What can we understand for it? Because again, he just to summarize, he's trying to bring out how great miracles Yaakov experienced, and yet how humble we have to be as Yaakov was humble. What is he really trying to tell us? So the Rebbe says, in order to understand this, there is a teaching of the Tzemach Tzedek. He was a grandson of the Alter Rebbe, and his successor, the third Chabad Rebbe, who quotes the Shalah, the Holy Shalah, the great Kabbalist. And he says that the two words, ki v'makli, these two words, for, with my staff, also serve as an acronym of two very familiar verses. Baruch kivod Hashem imkomo, which means, blessed is be the glory of Hashem from its place. And, lishuatcha kiviti Hashem, quote, for your salvation, I hope, comma, Hashem. O Lord. So he explains that this is, to understand this, in other words, to appreciate, this is not just merely pulling out, you know, acronyms out of the hat, like a magic trick. It, it has a meaning. How do these two verses come together? How do they complement each other? And they're both in the very same two words. They both come together. So he explains that to appreciate that is based on what the Alter Rebbe, back to his grandfather, the Alter Rebbe, explains in one of the primary books of Hasidic discourses in the Torah Or, over there he explains the verse from the book of Psalms, from chapter 99, which says, Mishpat ata asisa, which literally translates judgment and charity or righteousness amongst Jacob you have done. That's the praise of Hashem. So the question, of course, is, What's going on here? Because if you really analyze it, mishpat, which is judgment, and tzedakah are two opposites. When you do something for someone, if you're doing it out of mishpat, you're not doing it out of tzedakah. If you're doing it out of tzedakah, you're not doing it out of mishpat. Why? Think about it. What does mishpat mean? Mishpat is justice. That means it's justified. So that means it's coming to you. If you're doing it out of justification, means that the person rightfully deserves it. And if they deserve it, you have no right to hold it back. You have no right not to give it to them. So they have a right to demand it. On the other hand, what is tzedakah? What does this tzedakah inherently mean? That the person has no right to it. The person doesn't deserve it. But they're asking you out of kindness, in this case you ask Hashem, out of kindness to bestow upon you this the charity to give you what you need even though you don't deserve it or you have no right to it okay so the question now is how do these things come together how do we say that hashem does mishpat and tzedakah for yaakov that's all that he all that he does for yaakov is on the level of mishpat and tzedakah one is not the other the other is not that one so what how do they both come together so the answer in short is that this describes the holiness, the greatness of Yaakov, of a tzaddik, of a true tzaddik, that even though, as the Talmud says, that there are those who can demand by force, the abire leiv, those who are the strong of the heart, meaning they are sure that they, they are deserving of it, and therefore they have a right to the blessings of Hashem, but they don't ask for it, they don't demand for it, it. Uh, in, 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 that, in that manner, they don't come with the demand saying, listen, you owe it to me, which is okay, it's owed to them, but rather they come to Hashem in a form of tzedakah. And this will also help us understand 
why we find in the beginning of this week's parsha that Yaakov is so afraid. Jacob is so afraid of Esau. Why are you afraid of him? Hashem had already promised you that he will protect you. He promised you he'll deliver you from his hands. Why are you so afraid? And moreover, the Talmud tells us that if a person lives most of their lives without sin, they're almost guaranteed, they have no, no, nothing to worry about, that they're not going to slip, they're not going to fall in sin. And the, then, then the question is, Yaakov is not a youngster at this point. Yaakov is quite old. Yaakov already had lived a very virtuous life. Why is he afraid, like he said, quote, maybe sin would cause me to fall to here and, you know, might not uh, allow me to be deservant of Hashem's blessings, okay? You see, if somebody wants to be humble, somebody wants to be somewhat, you know, on, on a better side, but you have an obligation to express your faith in Hashem, and if Hashem promised it to you, why are you doubting it? If you doubt yourself, don't doubt Hashem. So how is it right for Yaakov to, quote, worry when Hashem had promised him. To be afraid that maybe his, quote, the sin would cause when Hashem says, if if you didn't sin most of your life, you won't sin. So you have to trust Hashem. The answer is that when 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 is this really apply? In other words, when do we say that a person shouldn't doubt Hashem, he shouldn't doubt himself? That's only when the person sees himself as, quote, something. The person looks at themselves and they have their self-worth, their self-value, then the person says, she can say, listen, I have nothing to be afraid of. Hashem promised me, and look, I'm a righteous person, I'm good. We're not speaking about arrogance, we're speaking about just, you know, taking stock of the reality. And therefore, okay, I'm not worried, Hashem will give it to me, He owes it to me. But when you're like Yaakov, where you're on a, such a deep level of beetle, and Yaakov has, feels like, who am I? He doesn't feel like he's a somebody. He feels like he's a nobody. Not because of low self-esteem, but because of virtue, because of righteousness. Then he doesn't feel like he really is on that standing where he really deserves it. And therefore he feels like, quote, like a chait, like a sin. There's another meaning of the word chait, which means insufficient, insignificant. And now we could understand the whole thing, how it comes, how it comes together, okay? That Yaakov was worried that perhaps because he saw himself in the absolute beetle, he said, who am I? I'm not worthy of this. However, the question then is the other way around. We could understand why Yaakov is asking for tzedakah, why Yaakov is asking for, quote, shari, but how could it be then that the verse says that there is also mishpat, that what Hashem did for Yaakov, it also involved mishpat? The answer is, and I want you to think about it, when a person requests tzedakah, when a person is requesting charity, quote-unquote, because they're actually destitute, or they're actually in a bad place, that is no indicator that they have true bitul, true subservience to Hashem. And a sense of a true sense of self nullification. Why? Because they're genuinely in a low place. They're genuinely in a bad place. But a person who is on a high level, a person who has it all, or is potentially in possession of it because of the mishpat, because of the judgment, it's coming to them. It's their right. They have it, and yet. They ask for tzedakah. Now that is already on a whole different level. That is already an ultimate level. That's what the verse is talking about. That's what it means in the verse when it says, Mishpat u tzedakah Yaakov That Yaakov, 
because it was mishpat, it was coming to him. But that's when his request for tzedakah really stands out and really has that impact that he has true bitl. That's a true indicator, a real-time indicator of bitl. Now we can understand the two verses that come together. Uh, I'm sorry, the two verses that come together because Baruch Kvod Hashem Im Komo means that you're drawing it down from the highest place. Mim Komo from his place. We don't even have a description of it. Meaning, because when somebody is Lishuat Chakiviti Hashem, quote, I beg for your salvation. I am hoping for your salvation, meaning I don't expect it, I don't feel like I deserve it, but I'm praying for it. That's when you can get the true source of blessing, which is beyond even what's, quote, coming to you. Baruch kivod Hashem, mim komo. You baruch, you draw it down, mim komo, all the way from the highest place. Because when you are truly batel, when you are tr- experience true an absolute bitul, that's when you connect to the essence, to the highest point of Hashem, which is beyond any description. So this is where we can see the connection now between the two, the two explanations, the two meanings in the in the word in, in the two words kiv and makli, and it will also give us an insight. Now we'll understand why the Alter Rebbe in making this point of how humble one has to be in order to appreciate and therefore to be deserving of Hashem's kindness, of Hashem's great miracles. He only quotes ki v'makli for my staff because in the staff itself, these two interpretations, when they come together, they create a a a status of the ultimate beetle of the ultimate level that can possibly be and therefore they bring the ultimate blessing remember once again because on the one hand the makli with my staff represents the lowest level of poverty and insignificance and at the other hand represents the highest level of greatness you know performing a miracle and Yaakov brought the two together, where even though he was deserving of that, and indeed that happened, yet he felt so humble, he felt so insignificant, that he felt genuinely as if he's coming from the lowest place possible. And that's where we can understand that what happens, how does Yaakov conclude his prayer? He says, you're going to say, please save me from the hand of Esau. And then he says, and you said, you're going to do good for me, and I'm going to make your children like the dust of the earth, which is the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate of blessings. So here it out, the Rebbe explained how they all come together so we have a better appreciation of our parsha and what the point that the Alter Rebbe was trying to bring out in connection with Yutes Kislev. What is the lesson for us? True, we're not Yaakov. However, by inheritance, being the heirs of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, we do have a little sampling of their life, of their mode of service of Hashem. And therefore, it's important to know that every single Jew deserves, literally deserves the utmost best, deserves everything, all the blessings that Hashem can give. And like the previous Rebbe said, that since all Jewish people are considered b'nei melachim, princesses, the children of Hashem, children of our kings, therefore, any even minor discomfort is considered to be a tremendous amount of pain and tragedy for the Jew. So in other words, we deserve the very, very, very best. And like the Alter Rebbe himself makes the point elsewhere in 
Torah Oyer, in that fundamental uh, book of Hasidic discourses, where over there he quotes the story from the Talmud of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babel, who destroyed the first temple, the first base of Mikdash, but it says that because he took three big steps for the honor of Hashem, he, whatever the story is, you can look it up, because he took three steps to the honor of Hashem, Hashem rewarded him with three generations of kingship after him. Three generations. So if that's Nebuchadnezzar, just took three steps, says the Rebbe, imagine every single Jew. There's no Jew in this world who hasn't done something for the honor of Hashem, more than just something. Every single Jew deserves a lot. However, sometimes we do see that Jews don't seem to receive everything that they deserve. Sometimes it's a little hard, there's some pain, there's some discomfort. That's because Hashem wants to bring us to humility, to subservience to Him. Says the Rebbe, here's my advice to you. Be subservient. Think, experience it in your mind, experience it in the heart, and then only the good will come, like happened with, with Yaakov. Now here is a special connection to Yutas Kislev that says the Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe, who like the Alter Rebbe worked selflessly, literally at self-sacrifice, Misirut Nefesh, to spread Hasidic teachings. Really he deserved that all these miracles happened? He deserved it as a right. Hashem owed it to him. But yet the Alter Rebbe is requesting it and he, and he keeps on mentioning the fact, stressing the fact that is, that he got it only because of Hashem's kindness, not because he was deserving it. That is the lesson for a Jew. And this brought the ultimate blessing that since that point on, the opposition to Chassidus has really died down. Yes, perhaps it looks like sometimes there's some opposition, but certainly the type of opposition that there was prior to his arrest and liberation does no longer exist, thank God, and is all over.